story with you. It's about heartbreaking loss, but it's also about miracles, forgiveness, and grace. It is a true story seen through the eyes of an 11-year-old girl. The year is 1965, a time when most neighborhoods were peaceful and safe. There was not much traffic, and children walked almost everywhere they went. People left their doors unlocked. Neighbors looked out for each other and their children. Living on Bexley Street in North Charleston, South Carolina, was a family of five. A dad, mom, and three girls, ages 14, 11, and 3. So imagine for a minute you are the 11-year-old. Your stepfather is daddy to you and your older sister and has loved you like his very own ever since you were five years old. Your three-year-old sister is gentle and precious with brown eyes and brown curly hair. You share a bedroom with her and play with her every day. She's kind of like having your own little baby doll. She brings you and your family much joy and laughter. She is your stepfather's only biological child. One day you were playing with your next door neighbor. Your little sister is several houses down in the backyard with her little friend. While you are playing, you hear the screech of car tires. It's on down the road so you don't pay much attention. But after a while, you notice neighbors coming out of their houses. They're going toward where you heard the tires. You sense something bad has happened and start racing down the street with your friends. You run up to where a crowd has gathered. They are looking at something in the road. You squeeze through the adults so you can see too. Suddenly, your happy, carefree world stands still. Your heart nearly stops when you realize your baby sister is lying in the road. She is bleeding and motionless. What would it feel like to you, an 11-year-old, seeing your sister pale and still? Her little shoes have come off her feet. Her white lace socks are the last thing you see before a neighbor pulls you away. It's strange the things you notice during a time like this. There is a knowing in your heart that your sister has died. Your friend's mother sits with you on your couch, holding you as you cry and cry. She won't tell you the truth about your sister even though you continually ask her. You see she is waiting for your mother to get home. Your mama finally walks in the door and collapses as someone tells her that her baby has died. The fear is tremendous as your 11-year-old mind tries to cope with a complete breakdown of her mother and the death of her sister. The grief and pain multiply as you see your strong and steady stepfather cry heart-wrenching tears over losing his little daughter. He is the only daddy you have ever really known, and you love him with all your heart. Seeing him like this is very scary for such a young girl. 
Imagine going to your little sister's funeral and your uncle pulls you aside. He tells you not to cry because you need to stay strong for your daddy. But every time you look in the casket at your sister in her pale yellow dress, all you can think is, I don't understand. She looks so pretty. She looks like she's sleeping. She needs her favorite doll before they close the lid of that casket. The tears well up until you feel you will burst. But then you see your daddy looking at you and you force a smile instead. You have to stay strong like your uncle told you to for your daddy. It's after the funeral and everyone has left. Your house is a sad, sad place to be. No one explains about death to you because you were not raised in church. You don't know much about God. Your mother has suffered an emotional breakdown and is sleeping a lot because of pills the doctor gave her. Your daddy can't comfort you because he is in so much pain himself. Well, that night you finally fall asleep but are jolted awake by conversation and loud crying in the living room. You listen at the door. A woman is begging your daddy to forgive her. The woman offers one of her very own children to replace your sister. It dawns on you, this was the woman who was driving the car that killed your sister. You can't believe what you hear. Your daddy is consoling the woman and telling her it was not her fault. He is offering words of compassion and forgiveness to her. Just take yourself to this place, even for a moment, you and your family, going through all of this without God. Well, that family was my family. I was the 11-year-old. The little girl who died was my sister Cindy, she was only three. I've told you about the tragedy, but now for the miracle. My dad was not a Christian man, but nothing would give him peace until he found out how he could see his Cindy again one day. He remembered his mother's teaching about God from his childhood and knew this was where he needed to start. He sought God for answers with a heart that was broken and torn. One evening after many sleepless nights, Daddy tells me he stood in the middle of the living room and yelled, God, I can't take this pain anymore. Help me. Immediately, God heard my dad's cries and gave him peace that passes all understanding. I asked my daddy about his experience with the Lord during that time, and here is what he recalls. He said, Nancy, I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was about a week after Cindy's death, and I had still not accepted Christ. I didn't know how. The emotional pain was excruciating, so much so I couldn't sleep, and my chest hurt from a heartache I can't describe. In the middle of that pain, I leaped up from my chair and cried out to God for help. Suddenly, I began to feel something like warm oil being poured over my head, 
which I now know was the Holy Spirit. It slowly covered me like a warm blanket of peace. I looked up to heaven and said, So this is what it feels like when you experience God's love and forgiveness. Daddy told me it was so unexpected. There was no way he could have manufactured an experience like that. He said that is why no one will ever convince him the Lord doesn't hear the cries of the unsaved. After that spirit-filled experience, my dad was able to sleep for the first time in days. Well, about a week later, a minister from North Charleston United Methodist Church saw the article in the newspaper about Cindy's death. He came to see our family and brought God's message of hope and eternal life. Because of Pastor Tom Evitt's counsel, Daddy confirmed his acceptance of Christ. My mom accepted shortly after, then me, and following was my older sister, Linda. Looking back, I realize that Pastor Evett did several difficult and amazing things that only God could have orchestrated. He listened to God and contacted my family. He risked rejection. He lovingly counseled us and led us to salvation. This is the miracle. Little did I know we would desperately need God to help us bear what was ahead. My parents wanted another child so badly. Months went by and during that time my mom had three miscarriages. She finally became pregnant and was able to carry the baby to term. But when baby Donna was born, the cord was wrapped around her neck. She had died minutes before delivery. Many years later, my sister Linda faced the death of her youngest son, Kevin. So now my dear sister had lost a child and my mother had lost her little grandson. But there was a huge difference in the way we coped with death. We now had Mom told me that when Kevin was dying in the hospital, she went down to a dock near my grandmother's house. She talked to God, trying to understand why this was all happening again. Why was she losing her grandson? Hadn't our family been through enough? She cried bitterly to God, trying hard to figure it out. She finally gave it to him and said, God, you are still God, and I will always believe in you and trust you, even if I never receive the answers in this life. Mama said a wave of peace covered her, and she had the incredible sensation that God was holding her. The same way God used Pastor Evett to offer salvation, comfort, and strength to my family after Cindy's death, he provided my mother with the faith and strength she needed to hold her own daughter up in her time of greatest need. God's mercies are right there every time we call on Him. They are new every morning. God was with us. 
Jesus sustained my sister in the months following Kevin's death, and one night when the grief of missing Kevin was especially strong, God gave Linda a glimpse of Kevin in a dream. Listen to what she shared. I dreamed I was standing on a bridge over a wide river. The sky was deep blue with pure white clouds. The river sparkled with diamonds, as did the light in the air. I saw someone rowing a boat in the middle of the river, and as the person passed me, I saw it was Kevin, my Kevin, in a red shirt with muscled arms. He was big and whole and well. He did not look at me, but I knew he was in heaven, rowing down some sparkling heavenly river, and that God had given me a glimpse, just a peek, of what Kevin was doing at that moment. It was one of the most comforting, if not the most comforting things that has ever happened to me, and I knew he was truly home. I knew in that moment that earth is not our home, but a learning place. Heaven is our true home to all of us who love God and answer His call. So you see, no matter what you might be going through, I urge you, lean into Jesus. He will hold you in His arms as long as it takes to quiet your spirit. This has been a testimony about the salvation of a family, but it is also about God's continued grace after I came to Christ and how He never gave up on me. Today I am a pastor's wife, but I have not always been the well-behaved person <laughs> that many of my friends know. It wasn't until age 15 that I truly accepted Jesus as my Savior. Now, it was a profound experience. The night it happened, I remember I kept my dad up until after midnight talking about it. I fell head over heels in love with Jesus. The Bible came alive, and I really was obnoxious telling everyone about my experience. Well, Daddy told me that when God reveals His love and truth to you, Sometimes you just can't put it in words to others. And I said, so Daddy, how can you be sure? How do you know when God is speaking to you? You want to know what his wise answer was, and I will never forget it. He said, honey, I know it in my knower. I'm sorry to say it wasn't long, though, that I fell back into the ways of the world. My first love for Jesus started to wane. I began to date a guy who was into drugs, and I experimented some myself. Now, remember this was during the 60s with psychedelic music, flower children, and the New Age Awakening. I began to play with the Ouija board, and I tried out some of Edgar Cayce's techniques like automatic writing. Now, you know, that's when you sit with a pen and you wait on God, or what you think is God, to give you messages by moving your hand to write profound prophecies. This opened the door to evil, and even though many people view these kinds of games as child's play, believe me when I say, it is not. I was seeking God in all the wrong places. 
One night I had what I would describe as a paralyzing sleep. I was lying in bed with my eyes closed. I knew I was sleeping, and if I could just move, I would wake up and be okay. I finally awoke, but I was anything except okay. The evil in the room was so thick you could cut it with a knife. Terror gripped me like a claw over my heart. Instinctively, though, I knew in my spirit to call on the name of Jesus. I said his name over and over, what seemed like a hundred times, until finally the evil left and I could actually move. God showed me I had opened a door to Satan and pretty much given him permission to bring this evil into my life and harass me. We need to be very careful what we allow our children and grandchildren to read, play, watch, and hear. The Bible says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Hosea 4.6 I honestly didn't know any better because I had not applied God's word to my heart. Well, now believe me, after that, I stopped messing with all the New Age stuff. Now you would think this would have awakened me to get out of the world and get back to God, but no. I kept right on partying and having a good old time. And let's just say I was living like the Bible warns against in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. In 1975, I fell in love, got married, and lived on and off for God, going to church and doing some works for Him. I still continued to drink and party, not thinking I was doing anything too awful. Well, my dad cautioned me that as a Christian, this was setting a bad example for others, and I tried to justify it by saying, well, bars are the only place I can go to dance, Daddy. Even at work, I fell right into the gossip around the office, not considering for a moment about the awful example I was setting, just ignoring scriptures like Proverbs 18.21 that says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I was happy and content with what might be called my Willy Wonka ticket to heaven, once saved, always saved, no matter how I chose to live. Because I was not studying the Bible or taking time out for God on any regular basis, it was easy to forget what Scripture says about this. We read in Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the Spirit. And that says to me that there is no condemnation if I am in Christ, but also if I do not continue in habitual sin and as the flesh dictates, I had indulged in what I wanted to do, not living at all like a new creation in Christ. 
It wasn't until several years before my husband got the calling into ministry that I finally began to have a longing to return to my first love for Jesus. The example I had set deeply grieved me. I realized that I had crucified my beloved Savior all over again by the way I had lived. For some reason, Bible prophecy has always been fascinating to me, and I began to research and study. And by coincidence, and we know there are no coincidences with God, I ran across Tribulation Now Ministries. The name of the ministry alone was intriguing to me, and I was amazed at all they taught. The more I listened and studied the Bible, the more I began to see how much we are living as in the days of Noah. As I immersed myself in the scriptures, I was genuinely humbled by what I read in Revelation chapter 3. I know your works and what you are doing. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I cried and cried as I realized this was what I had become. I was neither cold, which means fresh and ready, nor hot, on fire for God, in my love for Jesus. It was then I surrendered and completely turned my life over to Him to do as He willed with me. You might say, I was born again, again. Through Bible prophecy and my hunger for it, my Father was drawing me back to my first love. I guarantee that if you start to research and check these things out for yourself, it will make you fall in love so deeply with Jesus, you won't be able to contain the joy. And how do I know? I know it in my knower. The more God opened my eyes, the more I wanted to tell others about what I was learning. Men and women, and I know because I used to be one of them, so men and women, especially in the United States, continue to be in denial about the fact that the day in which we live is getting so bad that even a blind person should be able to see what is happening. When I finally realized that ours could very well be the generation, I had to ask myself, am I ready? Do I long to see Jesus? And then, this is exciting, I read in 2 Timothy 4.8 about the glorious reward that God promises to those who are living in righteousness and watching with eyes to see. Listen to this. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Imagine that, a crown of righteousness just for loving his appearing. I want to be worthy to receive that crown of righteousness because then I will have something to lay at my Savior's feet. I have to ask though, are we really looking forward to His return? 
If Jesus came back tomorrow, or if He walked through your door right now, would we be ready and eagerly waiting? Or would we say, Wait, Lord, I have to attend my child's wedding, or No, Lord, my grandchild, my grandchild's graduation is today. Are we too busy enjoying our lives with working in the church, traveling, seeing our children getting married, having their own children, enjoying our grandchildren, and on and on. There is nothing wrong with all of those things. They are beautiful gifts from the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, though, do I love the fullness I have in my life more than I love my Heavenly Father? Do I love them more than I love Jesus appearing? We need to realize that the persecuted Christians all over this world sure do long for His appearing. And believe me, we don't hear the half of the atrocities done to our brothers and sisters, and it's getting worse by the hour. Baroness Warsi from the United Kingdom recently said, There is a real danger that Christianity will become extinct in the Middle East. I found that as I try to share what I have learned, many of God's people do not want to hear it. It panics them. Whenever the subject of Jesus' return is brought up, most eyes glaze over. They laugh and discount it by saying something like, People have been saying that ever since I can remember about this being the generation of Jesus' return. Every generation has problems. The unusual weather, worldwide wars and calamities? Well, they've been going on for years. Did you know that these arguments are actually fulfilling Bible prophecy? Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. These words are found in 2 Peter 3.4. And do you know what Peter referred to those who said such thing as scoffers walking after their own lusts. Are things today really the same since the beginning of creation? Let's take a look at Luke 21, 25 through 26. Now these are in the words of Jesus. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. I think about the four blood moons in 2014 and 15, all on God's high holy days. And what about the fireball sightings which have quadrupled in the past two years? Let's read on. And upon the earth, distress of nations. I think about the increased wars and violence going on all over the globe. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. And here I think about the ramp up of deadly floods and earthquakes. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. I think about the deadly sinkholes, longer, colder winters with what the news calls apocalyptic and of biblical proportions. And what about all the animal die-offs by the tens of thousands?
and then Jesus finishes, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. All of this is alarming to hear, but there is hope when we as Christians see all of these things, because Jesus said, when you see these signs all taken together, coming to pass, you may know of a surety that he is near, at the very doors. Our Savior tells us to, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption, your rescue is coming soon. I pray that you will wake up to see the signs of his coming. That day should not overtake us as a thief, and God does not want his children in darkness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4-9 But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of light, and sons and daughters of the day. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And then listen to this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. As the Bride of Christ, God expects us to be eagerly awaiting our Bridegroom, like the five virgins with oil in their lamps. If we are not watching and waiting, will we be like the other virgins who were not ready and who were left behind? Studying about this has changed my life. It has brought me a lot of sadness over the human condition but it has been so worth the grief because the Bible has come alive again. And like I said, I have returned to my first love. It has opened my eyes to see what is really going on and made me realize how much Satan is controlling men and women in powerful positions all over the world because his time is short. He is going after Christians with a vengeance. Even Prince Charles stated that Christians are deliberately being targeted for persecution in the Middle East and North Africa. We think it can't come here to America. I'm telling you, it can, and it will. You know, the battle between angels is still going on, and just because we can't see into the heavens doesn't mean it's not real. It is a very real battle for the souls of men and women. Most don't want to believe ours is the generation. Well, let me ask you something. If not ours, then whose? And if not now, when? If the thought of Jesus coming for his bride makes the church afraid, we must consider how we are living. As the days grow closer, we will see more and more signs, but God will shield us if we stay solidly under His Ark of Protection, just like Noah did. It is urgent that we do not wait until the eleventh hour to get our spiritual house in order. We must prepare spiritually, and no matter what comes, God forbid another 9-11, or much worse. We as God's people who know the truth and are spiritually prepared can be a calm in the midst of the turmoil.
This will win others to Jesus more than any words ever spoken. God shows us how to prepare in His Word. We must be on our knees, repenting before our Lord every day, reading God's Word, turning away from habitual sin, putting on God's spiritual armor, and going forward as the royal children He created us to be. He will fill us with peace and joy like He did my dad when He was covered with the warm oil of the Holy Spirit. And my mom, when she had lost so much and pledged her love to God even if she never received the answers in this life. If you have lost your first love for Jesus or never invited Him into your heart to be Lord and Savior, there is still time. The time is now, though, because the time is short. God promises that we will find Him when we seek Him with all our heart. You know, Cindy didn't get a chance to grow up and be a light for God. As I wrote my family's story, the Lord has shown me I can be her light. I can be her voice. I can tell what Jesus did for me and my family. Cindy's death was not in vain. I now see that through her death came life for my family, eternal life. Now I would be lying if I told you that living through these tragedies were not hard. It's what we do with them that makes the difference. Walking in the faith of Jesus does not promise we will not suffer, but it does promise that suffering will not have the final word. God never said all things are good. However, He did say all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We have a Savior who can sympathize in our suffering. In Hebrews 4:15-16, we see this. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Almost all of you listening can think of a time when the harshness of life was overwhelming. And you might be going through difficulties even now. Sharing about the heartache my family went through is not to say that my pain is any greater than yours. This family story is not about our loss and heartache as much as it is about God's miracles, forgiveness, and grace. If you take nothing else from this message, please consider this. Cindy lost her life in an instant. Our life could be gone in an instant. She did not have tomorrow. We are not promised tomorrow. For that reason, the time is short and we must share this gospel with hurting people before their last tomorrow comes and it is too late for them. 
every true Christian, like Pastor Evett, has been placed by God in a unique and strategic position to be used for His glory. Each of us has a story to tell about the life-changing power of the cross. We are reminded in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to share the reason for the hope that you have. I was just thinking, it would be tragic if one day a person who has come across our path stands before the Lord facing eternity and says, no one told me. Someone is telling you now, because it is not by chance or coincidence that you are listening to this testimony. The God of eternity works out His plans for you from the perspective of eternity. But remember, you still have a free will, and God won't force Himself on you. You must be the one to choose. He is longing for you to step into the perfect design He has planned for you. You are why Jesus came. You are why He died. You are why He rose from the grave, and you are why He is called Savior of the world. Listen to the words of Jesus calling all people to come to Him. Revelation 22 I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let all those who heareth say, Come, and let those who are thirsty come, and whosoever will, let them take the water of life freely. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I have poured out my heart to you today because God has given me such a burden for all Christians who have lost their first love and for all those who don't know Jesus as Savior. I don't know you, but God sure does and He has placed a longing in my heart to show you how much He loves you by way of this family testimony, which is still ongoing. Psalm 91 makes it crystal clear what God will do when we seek Him, love Him, and trust Him with all our heart, having no fear of what might come. In Psalm 91, verses 14 through 15, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, it says, Because you have set your love upon me, therefore will I deliver you. I will set you on high, because you know and understand my name, which means have a personal knowledge of God's mercy, love, and forgiveness. Trust and rely on me, knowing I will never forsake you, no, never. You shall call upon me, and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. Think back. Remember what it was like when you were a child, right before Christmas, or the anticipation you felt on your wedding day. 
What about the birth of your first child? Think about the most exquisite event that ever happened in your life. That is how our Heavenly Father wants us to feel about His precious Son's return to this earth. Do we truly love His appearing? I'd like to close with words from a song entitled Mansion Builder. Lord, I've been told that there are those who will learn how to fly, and I've been told that there are those who will never die, and I've been told that there are stars that will never lose their shine, but that there is a morning star, Jesus, who knows my mind. So why should I worry, and why should I fret? Because I've got a mansion builder who's not through with me yet. Lord, I've been told that there's a crystal lake in the sky, and every tear from my eyes is saved when I cry. And I've been told there'll come a time when the sun will cease to shine, but that there is a morning star who knows my mind. So why should I worry? Why should I fret? Because I've got a mansion builder. His name is Jesus, and he's not through with me yet. Amen. And I almost forgot, there is a wonderful ending to my family's story. In God's own timing, he answered my parents' prayers for another child. My sister Kelly was born gentle and precious, with brown eyes and brown curly hair. She brought me and my family much joy and laughter. Well, I mean until she turned age 13, but then that's a whole other story. <laughs>